Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. All right, I'm going to start off this week. I'm not even going to say hello to you. I need to begin with my head hanging in shame. I mean, shame, I tell you. I don't want you to say a word, O'Toole. Let me just get through this, and then we're going to move on really fast. I'm just, I'm in shock. I have no idea what you're about to okay. say. First, Lalu, who's one of our uh, listeners who's, you know, uh, gives us great input, she, um, she wrote in about her favorite remake being Withering Heights, which made me cringe. Five remakes of my very favorite book in the entire world, and I forgot them all. I, you know, <laughs> Lalu, I hang my head in shame, and then, so here's my plan. Like, I've been thinking about this for the last three days since she wrote in. So I'm taking back Sabrina. I'm going to replace it with the 92 remake of Wuthering Heights with Juliette Binoche and Ray Fiennes. And by taking back Sabrina, then I don't really have to apologize to O'Toole for the fact that Harrison Ford does wear that ridiculous bowler, and I can't believe I thought he didn't. Okay, so I... Thank you. Now, if you have any sort of grace about you, you'll just move right on because we've got a lot to talk about. Well, you mentioned that he wore a baseball hat in that movie, which he does, and then I realized that must have been the visual sign of character growth, that he moved from the bowler to the baseball okay, hat Okay, I'm remember. done talking about Sabrina, because now I'm focused on Wuthering Heights. So thank you, Lalu, for not only pointing out my, my incredible oversight, but in addition to that, sort of giving me an out. So Mia Culpa... I'm going to say hats off. Hats off to Lalu. <laughs> exactly. Mia culpa, mia culpa, you know, and I, you know, if you, if I need to do anything to atone, just let me know, but I'm exhausted and we haven't even begun yet, so, <laughs> all right. Well, Hollister, I was curious, did you see there was a front page article in the Wall Street Journal this week about Netflix's, quote, shock and awe spending? They said one TV executive out in Hollywood has likened it to the onslaught of Genghis Khan. <laughs> they said it's driving up production costs across Hollywood, but Netflix is going to spend $6 billion this year on original and acquired programming. That's twice as much as HBO. And I know you mentioned in our podcast about The Crown, they spend $10 million an episode yeah, and, and, on that show. And well worth it. It's great, 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 mm-hmm. great viewing. So, um, I, you know, and I thank you, Netflix. I really appreciate it because it certainly makes our podcast better. Uh, and yeah, so no, I hadn't seen that. And that was really a good turn of turn the corner for me. So thank you for letting me leave all of the rest of it behind. And speaking of last week, our podcast about Beauty and the Beast, just talking about it, it's inspired me to add another section to my favorites on our website, screenthoughts.net. So I've added my favorite animated films, and I'm going to be putting one up each week. Okay, you go, girl. Um, but also thank another you. update. Okay. Last week, I announced that there had been um, 3 million downloads of the tale as old as time, but now it's up to 43 million downloads. Yeah, and they've taken in, in the first week before this past weekend, they took in 500 million, so they're easily going to get to their billion mark. Uh, So you go, girls. You go, boys. We just think it's great. So good for you. The power... Of a I musical. Know, I know. Speaking of which, Hollister, I had one of the great highlights of my life this past week. I know we. I <laughs> I know you flew into New York just to go to the theater. O'Toole loves the I theater, did. and while most of you, you know, don't have the opportunity to do Broadway, so tell us what you saw and 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 how good was it. Well, 
I am pretty sure that my sister probably sold a few organs to get us tickets. It's still in previews, but it's Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello. (laughs) Yeah, okay. You know, did you know Bette Midler starred on Broadway before I was ever born? I had no idea. I mean, I knew she'd won four Grammys and three Emmys and four Golden Globes. She has such a huge and loyal following. This show is already sold out for its entire run. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. David Hyde Pierce stars in it with her. He was Niles on Frasier, of course. I didn't realize he was nominated for an Emmy every season of Frasier. 11 years in a row. No, but I don't think he he ever... He only won once, right? He he won four times. Oh, okay. Well, good for him. This part was made for Bette Midler. I mean, I would watch her read the newspaper, but she brings such elan to all her performances. She has such joy in being on stage. Mm -hmm. So guess who was starring across the street? You could see his marquee right across from Bette Midler's, Kevin Klein. Oh, yeah. You mentioned him last week in the podcast. He's in an old coward play right now. Yep, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. getting high kudos for it as well. So, yeah. And can I just say, watching Bette Midler, everyone was just shocked to realize that she's now 71. I'm pretty sure that 71 is the new 40. (laughs) She sings, she dances, she twirls a baton, and of course, she wears... Head feathers. All of the stars of First Wives Club are now 71, and Goldie Hawn is going to soon be playing Amy Schumer's mother in the movie Snatched, which again, 71 is not what it used to be. Well, keeping in mind that, you know, uh, Jane Fonda's father, Henry Fonda, was 71 when On Golden Pond came out, and the way he looked and the way Catherine Hepburn looked. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it tells tell the story. That's absolutely true. So good for you, and which is going to lead us into shortly. By the way, we're going to do our list of six. Is going to be uh, things that went from Broadway to the screen. So maybe we should start that now. What's your first favorite? The first one I'm going to do is The Sound of Music. It okay. was on Broadway in 1959. Mary Martin originated the role. Julie Andrews, of course was in the 1965 film that won five Oscars, including Best Picture. And what I love about this, it's a little bit of poetic justice because Julie Andrews starred on Broadway not that long before in My Fair Lady. And you know that awful story about how Hollywood producers thought she wasn't good-looking enough to do it on screen, so they replaced her with Audrey Hepburn? I do know, yeah. It's, it's iconic, no, but it's iconic, and every generation has has shown it to their children, too, which tells you a lot about it. So I'm going to move in with Evita. Oh, I love that you chose that one. Yeah, and, I, you know, Madonna really, she practically had to sell her soul to the devil to get it. And then she didn't tell them she was pregnant, and she had terrible morning sickness during the shooting. And the only downside of it was that Mandy Patinkin, who played Evita on Broadway, um, who we all know I love dearly, uh, he wanted the role and didn't get it, and he should have gotten it because, you know, Antonio Banderas got it because he was a more known movie star. But it really became about the music because it's totally, there's no talking in it at all. It's all music. And Mandy has the voice that, you know, that should, that belonged in it. So that was the only downside. But I, I started with Evita. And Madonna won a Golden Globe for that part. She did, yep. Patti Lapone, who won her first Tony for doing it on Broadway, said it was the worst experience of her life. Huh. Have I said too much? Okay. I'm going to go with West Side Story. Oh, wait, I was doing that. Okay, then I'll go with a different one. 
No, you can go with West Side Story. Why did you pick it? I love the movie version, yeah. although, again, Cheetah Rivera originated the part on Broadway, yeah. and they gave her part to Natalie Wood for the movie. I actually saw it on Broadway with my dad. Really? My dad took me to New York. He was going on a business trip, and we saw West Side Story, and it you know, it's it was life-changing. You know, then to see it on... On film, you know, I mean, the music. I think Maria and Tonight are two of the great love songs, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay, so what's your so next my one? my last one. Yeah, yeah, what's your last my one? My last one, I'm going to do Chicago, oh, 2002. I considered it. Won six Oscars, including for Best Picture. Richard Gere uh, you know, learned to tap dance for <laughs> the role. Did. Well, also that, I mean, you don't think of him as a singer. Did you like him in the role? Did you think he deserved to be there? I thought he was great. I thought they were all great. I thought it was a great, great cast. Queen Latifah, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Renee Zellweger, great, great cast. And of course, with lyrics like Razzle Dazzle, come on, Chicago. (laughs) I'm going to end with Mamma Mia. Oh, good choice, Hollister. And also, I'm ending with that because that's the first time I really ever saw Meryl Streep sing. And oh, really? Yeah. And I did. I mean, I knew that she had been trained to be a singer and I knew she wanted to be a Broadway singer. I mean, I knew all of that. But when I saw her in Mamma Mia and I saw how easily she makes song into content, I, I just thought she was really, really good. In it. And I thought everybody was really good in it. So I went with Mamma Mia. You know who I really thought stole the show in that? Who? Julie Walters. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I love her. Yeah. Love her. Yeah. Now, also, you know, I think the men in it, too, they were a little awkward, but it sort of fit into the roles they were playing. All right. Now, also, we got an email from Vera, um, and we got the email, and the subject was Halt and Catch Fire on Netflix. Um, It says, love your podcast. It gets me through the day. I just discovered Halt and Catch Fire and wanted to bring it to your attention. Great storytelling, great acting. Regards, uh, Vera from Chicago. Okay, how did we miss this? And yet again, Netflix, why are you not putting these things in front of me? Halt and Catch Fire is like Steve Jobs with makeup. I mean, it's like it's like women in the tech field and then men around them who sort of make these great secondary stories around it. You know, I haven't had time to watch more than a couple of episodes, but I'm definitely adding it to the list of watch at least once a week. I'm not going to binge it because it's just you have to really sort of decipher it. But women techies, women in marriage, women trying to do more than mothering or business, startups in the 80s that, you know, have just these complex interactions. So it's already in its fourth season. Who knew where it premiered from uh, AMC? I'll definitely check it out. And Vera, thank you for the email. There's a project I want to discuss with you. I don't think I'm ready for the IBM dress code. I don't work for IBM. Worst case scenario, IBM sues us into the ground. Please tell me that you didn't buy all this. And then I went into Netflix and I looked, I really drilled down to see if it was recommended or showing anywhere. And it's nowhere to be found unless you look it up. And I thought, you know... They really need to, you know, I'm begging you, Netflix, to sort of take another look at how that all works around it, you know? Well, maybe with a $6 billion budget, they can allocate a little bit more know, right? towards helping us find these great shows. Now, I, and one other thing I wanted to talk about, because I know you're not you're not going to watch this season of Grace and Frankie, but I put up that I started... Now, why would you say that? Well, you didn't watch the second season. <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, you did the whole thing? Yes, I did. Oh, yes, I, I did. I remember that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So have you started the third season? 
I did. I saw your post oh, on okay. our Facebook page. Yeah. And you know, I just think the world of those four actors <laughs> and some of the supporting actors as, as well. So when I saw your post about how the writing has really gotten oh, good. Oh, my God. I went and watched the first episode of the third season, and you're absolutely right, Hollister. I, I know, the writing's right? gotten much sharper. It shows off their their skill sets, and it was staged much more like a play, where you take the supporting cast, even that scene where they're all doing the drinking game, and they're completely in sync. I was like, this is the comedic touches <laughs> yes. of something oh. staged for the theater. But not just that. There, you know, actually Val, who who follows us and writes a lot, she said, here's one of the things she wrote. She said the first episode with the art show. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are some interesting paintings, and I still think the one of the circumcision of Hitler is so funny. And I'm like, wait, I didn't see that. So she then says, it's at 14 minutes and 12 seconds. So I went back. I I would have still missed it had she not given me the exact moment. And then she says, you could miss it if you don't stop to ponder the painting. But my favorite part, you know, that's one of her favorite parts. So I went and looked. The humor in all the art, like the first major painting you see in this art show is Jane Fonda with fangs. And then you see Jane Fonda looking at it with this sort of, okay, well, I'm not, you know, Jane Fonda's character has come into her own in such a big way. Mm -hmm. So here's the plan. I'll talk first and I'll keep talking and you don't talk. And remember the last season, I said I was sort of disappointed because I felt like there should be more of the men. And they, you know, and as it was pointed out to me, the name of it is Grace and Frankie, not Grace Frankie, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Robert and Saul. And I think that uh, I think that it's just perfectly balanced now. I swore I was not going to binge. So, because I wanted to savor it. So, okay, it took me 24 hours to see six hours. So, but I could have been, you know, there's somebody who's posting on our Facebook page. There's a big conversation going on about it. Now she watched the whole thing on Friday night. So I just want to say that I'm, you know, I definitely waited. I watched it all in 24 hours, but my favorite part is, you know, Robert, who's played by Martin Sheen, who also has come into his own. He's now nailed this, this Robert who's now come out of the closet and is not afraid to be his true self to the public, but he's coming into his gayness, if that's a, if that's a good way to say it. But he's having these mother issues about coming out of the closet. And so he ends up speaking to this priest friend that used to be a priest, but then he stopped being a priest because he was clearly gay, who they invite over for brunch. And he talks to the priest about it, and the priest says... I will savor this sentence for the rest of my life. The priest says, well, the way I get around heaven and hell and all that stuff is another priest who told me that it's best to order God a la carte. (laughs) And I thought, you know, that's how I I can deal with that. Not every single thing is going to fit on you, but order God a la carte. So, (laughs) you know... And how cool is that? I mean, I, I, I'm going to needlepoint it on a pillow. I swear to God. I just thought it was great. And, and Sheen, you know, is just coming into his own there. So I think you should join our conversation. If you're watching it and loving it and you want to talk about it, we have a good conversation going on Screen Thoughts on our Facebook page. So, Well, speaking of needlepoint, in that first episode, it was a very funny scene, too, where Jane Fonda's daughter is trying to repair the rift in their friendship between her and Lily Tomlin. So she wears that handmade poncho that Lily Tomlin had made for her. 
And Lily Tomlin takes one look at her and she goes, you know, it's a rift in our friendship. You can't just fix it by throwing yarn at it. <laughs> Again, the way she delivers I these know. lines. But what is very impressive is it says a lot of important things about ageism in our I society. Agree. But it I doesn't agree. feel like a message movie. I don't think that a 10-year uh, loan would be prudent. Do we look like we're senile and can't remember anything? Where is the car? But also, and also the poncho that she knit for her is so funny because it's just so badly knit. <laughs> and when she walks up and Jane Fonda takes a step back and says, what are you wearing? <laughs> I mean, everything has a nuance that is not over the top, but I, I don't often laugh out loud a lot. I've been laughing out loud since, since the, you know, I, you know I'm, I'll watch it again. It's so, so good, don't you think? I think it's really found its feet because yeah. now I feel like they're writing for the actors who have helped shape the characters. They're not just writing blindly for characters. Right. And I love the dynamic between the actors. Now, Jane Fonda and um, Lily Tomlin have already said they want a fourth season. They're hoping they're going to get one, but it hasn't happened. It has not been committed to yet. It's written by um, Marta Kaufman, who also wrote for Friends. Mm-hmm. I just think she's done an ama- just a great job. And I hope she gets up for some sort of Emmy on this or a Golden Globe. I don't know how it keeps getting overlooked. Lily Tomlin's been nominated for a Golden Globe, but that's it. Well, your mom is a big, fat, skinny liar. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, they are all doing a bang-up job. Saul and Lily Tomlin's character have two boys, and then uh, Jane Fonda and Martin Sheen have two girls. And they're very friends-like in the way they interact with each other, the kids. And that's I, very true. yeah, that's you can point. see it. You can see the friends in it. But I'm, I just, I, I can't speak more highly about it. So, okay. And then you had me talk to me about Acorn. There had been a write-up that I had seen that was just raving about a new Irish series, supposedly the number one new drama in Ireland, called Striking Out. What is this? Hara. And they said for U.S. viewers, you could see it on Acorn TV, which is a streaming service of some U.K. and Irish programming. You can do a free week-long trial. They don't have Last Tango in Halifax, sadly, because I'd love to catch up on that series. But at least it's a way to get around the delay between some of this programming coming over here later or not at all. So is that on, is it at acorn.com? Acorn.tv. Okay. I'm just a corporate lawyer gone walkabout. On top of my professional liability insurance and the fact that I forked out for most of my wedding, I'm broke. I'm so glad you brought it to us because I've only watched the first two episodes. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I couldn't help but compare it to the American sort of version of that would have been Doubt that launched with Katherine um, Heigl this season. And only they only they shot 12 episodes, but they only showed two of them. And it's sort of irritating me because they left me hanging in a bunch of spots that I want to know the answers to. And then they took it down. Um, but when you compare the two, it's both are about a, a woman lawyer and, you know, her mishnagosh personally, as well as what she's up, up with legally. But you can just see the difference. It's just so brilliantly written. And also those characters, again, character development and the way they cast over the pond on the other side of the pond, I just think it's superior to us. I do. Well, I think the third and fourth episodes are stronger than the first and the second. There's definitely some quirky characters. We've seen some of these types 
before, the cheating fiancé, the mysterious female private eye, the gay male assistant slash client, the cute coffee shop owner. The thing that cracks me up are these funky warehouse settings that these startup law firms always seem to find. This one's connected to a very cool cafe. But remember that show Ed, where he was a lawyer out of a bowling alley? Or Michael Connolly out of the back of his car, or The Good Wife when they had their startup in a warehouse? Mm -hmm. But the production values, I would say, are very high. I, I love the cinematography, the music, the scenes of Dublin, the sleek interiors. Since St. Patrick's Day was not that long ago, this is definitely Dublin of 2017. I know Americans sometimes get a little nostalgic about Ireland of yesteryear. So if you're expecting The Quiet Man with John Wayne, that's not this. This is a very modern portrayal of Dublin. I'm, ju- I'm just so grateful to be watching it because that opening scene in the in the pilot episode um, where she goes from her hen party or, you know, uh, bachelorette party was what it'd be called here. And then she goes home and catches him um, with somebody else. I, I just thought it was so beautifully laid out. God, it was good. Really well done. She's great. Amy Huberman plays the lead. And I think she's Have you seen her in anything good. before? I have not. But now I'm going to see if her other TV shows are available on Acorn. Okay. Whatever their position in life, nobody loses their right to privacy or dignity. Two women claim the same man's their husband. Are you sure you're up for this? This is my life. And Hollister, I know you're huge on titles. I am. Striking out. Did you like the double entendre? I did. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like she struck out, but she's also striking out on her own. Yep. I thought it was very clever. I did too. Uh, yeah, I like a title that makes sense and that also makes me think a little bit. And, you know, and I, I definitely had a moment, a moment to pause. There's a couple lines that really struck me. So, for example, I don't know if you've seen this episode yet, but she apologizes to her friend because she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I must be ranting. And she's ranting about the ex-fiancé, right? And the friend says, ranting, if I were in your shoes, I'd be more stabby, stabby, bury the body. (laughs) I thought, okay, that's a great line. Or when her mother sees that she's left this prestigious law firm and gone out on her own, working out of the back of a cafe, you know, her mother says, um, what, have you gone all hill bandit on us? And I was like, oh, hill bandit. That's a great expression. You know, and also her mother and also the ex-fiancé's mother, any mother issue anybody ever had sits in both those two characters. It's just amazingly brilliant. The mother, though, I don't know that I love her character so much, but um, here's one last line that I thought this one really shows that it's an Irish series. There is a case, and some of these legal cases are a little flimsy, but, you know, they serve their purpose. And there's an eviction that's sought. And the judge, this is her quote, An eviction is a brutal and traumatic event that has left a genuine psychic scar on the fabric of our nation. I was like, okay, given the traumatic history of the Irish being driven out of their homes by the English landlords, I was like, okay, that's definitely a sign that it's an Irish series. Yeah, but I like it. I like the Mm -hmm. statement. I, I, I like her, the way, I sort of like the way the law was laid out there, how, um, they actually said at one point the judge also says to uh, to, to counsel, "You didn't do your homework well enough before you came in front of me, so you presented things to me that weren't true, as if they were responsible for presenting the t- truth, which in our country has never been the responsibility of anybody." And I just I liked it. I liked the way you know everybody had 
uh, they had culpability around the job they were doing and who they were representing and what they were representing. And I, I, I don't know. I really liked it. Really liked it. I have the feeling this could be like Grace and Frankie, where the writing will keep getting stronger. Yeah, yeah I agree. You know, I'm not sure the pilot was the strongest foot forward plot no, I wise knew, and yes, writing wise. Totally agree. But you know, but that's true, you know, unless you're Sorkin with the pilot of with the West Wing, which is one of the great pilots, most people agree that it's one of the great pilots written in terms of character development, of really showing who these people were. You know, I, I, you know, if you look at the path or you look at a lot of the things that have come out, they're getting better, 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 because you get to also know more about the characters. And as you do, it becomes more interesting. There's no question about it. So, Well, I think we've been a little spoiled, too, by how many playwrights have penned episodes of Law & Order, because, I mean, that's such a longstanding franchise with so many spinoffs. Yeah. But writing a legal procedural is an art form where you don't feel the exposition coming in. These first couple episodes... You felt the exposition, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out the second season. Cool. Very cool. Yep. Okay. And then also something else you brought to my table, which we're going to talk about the marvelous Mrs. Mason. I know. <laughs> you know, where did you come up with that? How did you find that? Well, it wasn't a stretch for me since it was written and directed by Amy Sherman Palladino, who brought us Gilmore Girls. How she cranked out a TV pilot when she had just come off the Gilmore Girls revival, she must never sleep. Well, not only that, you know, uh, the fact that she was doing it concurrently is also interesting. Now, this is only one episode, and Amazon puts it up to determine whether they're going to go ahead and launch it into a full series or not, and you should go see it and vote for it if you think it's as good as I thought it was. Because it will be determined at that point, whoever gets the most votes, then that, that, that pilot takes off into a series. My life fell apart today. My husband left me. I have to leave. I don't understand. You. I have to leave you. <laughs> you should do stand-up. I think the complexity of this pilot was incredibly um, stressful and funny and tragic and brilliant. And the character, Rachel Brosnahan, plays the lead. And I hadn't seen her in anything. Uh, the... Yes, yes, you had. What would I see her in? You saw her in House of Cards. Oh, okay. You saw her in Patriot's Day. <laughs> and you saw her in Crisis in Six Scenes. What? And remember, you thought her character was like a toss away. And here, and when you get the right vehicle, it really oh, I was lets just going to say, well, you know shine. what? I've never seen her the way I saw her in this. And mm-hmm. she, talk about no rest for the weary. What she shows is this total 50s anxiety of these women to run these perfect homes, be the perfect wife. But she does it with intelligence and humor and and the pressure from her parents. You know, this woman doesn't have a moment of peace in her life, period, end of sentence. And she seems to be okay with that. That's what she wants. I mm-hmm. I can't wait to see where this is going to go. Uh, did you Were you as blown away as I was? Well, see, now here's an example of a very strong pilot. Amy Sherman yep. Palladino yep. knows how to just show us these characters yep, immediately. Yep. It's a lot like the Gilmore Girls if it were set in the 50s with a Joan Rivers stand-up comedian type. Um, so you get all that cool period sets, a seafoam green wall phone, for example. But Rachel Brosnahan is someone who I think is going to shine as a stand-up ah. comedian in her own right. It's got all that Sherman Palladino rat-a-tat dialogue, 
which I thought she did very well. You know, I was never a fan of Joan Rivers. And when I read or you told me, I can't remember where her name came into it. It's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't even want to watch it. So if you like me, do not find Joan Rivers very funny. Um, you know, I think you should set that aside because I think little Rachel is 10 times funnier than Joan Rivers ever could have been. She's definitely very likable. And what I had not realized is that Amy Sherman Palladino's real life father had been a stand-up comic. So this world is very familiar to her. There's a character playing Lenny Bruce, but in real life, Amy Sherman Palladino as a kid knew Lenny Bruce's mother. And I think she creates such a real world where when it's going well, these comedians are riding such highs. And when they bomb on stage, I cringe as a viewer when that's Uh such Uh an awkward moment. Now, what did you think of her husband? (laughs) In terms of his acting or in terms of the character? Wherever you want to take it. I'm very curious to see how he's going to be a recurring character in her life. Well, you know, I loved the ridiculousness of him, but you don't see it you don't see the culmination of it. You see little bits and pieces of it. And then all of a sudden he emerges as the true cad that he is. And you're not surprised, but you're um, a little shocked. Or maybe you're shocked, but not surprised. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I think he plays it brilliantly. Who is he anyway? Uh, Michael Zegan from Boardwalk Empire. Uh, see, I didn't see that. Did you ever watch that? No, I tried and I just didn't yeah. get into it. It's a complex character to play because we, you have to lure me into thinking you're not such a bad guy. You're just a guy who really wants to be doing this. And then slowly but surely you have to unwind as the true cad that you are. And I, I just thought he did it really, really well. You know what else he was in? What? Rescue Me. The series with Dennis Leary, who had been a real-life stand-up comic and cast a lot of his real-life stand-up comic friends in parts on that show. And the hole in the sweater? I mean, the the details for this are just tremendous. That was a very funny line about the holes in the sweaters, because when they're driving down to the village to perform, and he's so worried about it, you know, should she wear a beret? And he's like, I've got a hole in my sweater. And she goes, you have clothes. You'll be overdressed. (laughs) Very funny lines about New York. And her parents. Oh, my God. Love them. Love them. So Tony Shalhoub plays her father, who won three Emmys in Monk. And Marin Hinkle plays her mother. I loved her on Once and Again. And she's been on Madam Secretary. Very, very strong casting. Well, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with Amy, you know? So, I mean, it's when you have the kind of history that she does, you know, it's not going to be hard for her to put together exact team that she wants, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And apparently working with her is, you know, sort of like Shonda Rhimes. You know, people are very loyal. Very few people left Gilmore Girls unless she wanted them to. And look at how they all came back for the revival. Exactly, exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, on that revival, Amy Sherman Palladino has said it was such a wonderful experience working with Netflix, just in terms of creative control, everything else. She said, quote, my network days are probably done. As they would be, because A, you're never going to get the money, and B, people tell you what to do, and who wants to be told what to do when you're creative person like her. So why would she do it? And just speaking of stand-up comedy and Netflix, they have gone after some big name comics from HBO, like Louis C.K., Amy Schumer. They're going to pay Chris Rock $40 million to do stand-up on Netflix. Oh, and I can't wait to see it. It's been a while, too. So, you know, more power to them is what I say. Now, the other reason they're doing something like Chris Rock is the same thing 
um, they said that by doing Grace and Frankie, they brought in a, a age group, a demographic bracket that wasn't really committed to Netflix until Grace and Frankie, and that over 50-something, and it mm-hmm. really helped open it up, and it brought in a lot of, lot of, lot of new watchers. So, And I imagine that Chris Rock is going to be the same thing, where they're trying to solidify that age bracket uh, who followed him and maybe isn't as as committed as the youngins are to uh, to Netflix. So good for them. Speaking of the art of stand-up comedy, that was a great scene where Rachel Brosnahan is taking assiduous notes about what worked <laughs> and what didn't work in her husband's act. And Joan Rivers had whole file cabinets full of jokes and, you know, where they worked and how they worked. When she was giving him his tally at the end of the night and she said, okay, that line, you got three laughs and a couple laughlets. <laughs> The use of laughlet. I think I might just adopt that new word. It's a cute word. I think yeah, it's awesome. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. remember that moment, but yeah, it's a cute word. No question. This is a quote from Amy Sherman Palladino about doing stand-up comedy. And again, this was her father's metier. Okay, comedy is kind of the worst job on the face of the earth. When I worked at the comedy store, I would see just horrific cracks in the human psyche on a nightly basis. It's very lonely. And I thought that is true. When you're up there on stage, you are all alone. It can be brutal. Well, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, a little bit, the work she did with with uh, Gilmore were was some stand. They were stand up one liners many many times. You know, I love that analogy. That's yeah. very very. I true. mean, it was you know she was doing stand up comedy, and the sidekick you know daughter would you know do the straight lines. You know, and there there definitely was that yin yang going on. No question. That's very true, and it's interesting that she said it in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And Amy Sherman Palladino said she was so thrilled to go back to the fifties because she doesn't do technology. So she can write a show that doesn't really have any, as we know it today. Right. They don't have to text or Snapchat or any of that. Now, speaking of remakes, so Love Actually has uh, has put out a 10-minute follow-up to what happened to everybody afterward. Our love is all around me. All around me. And so the I'm afraid you did it again, Bill. <sighs> it's just I know the old version so well, you know. Well... We all do. That's why we're making the new version. Yeah, and it it launched in Britain, not in America yet, but I did get a chance to see it. And you can see snippets of it. If you go into YouTube and look it up, There's people have put up, uh, you know, videos from their television sets to try to help the people over on this side of the pond see it. It's very clever. It's 10 minutes. So it's, it's sort of everybody's update in 10 minutes. And the only thing that wasn't updated was Emma Thompson and and Alan Rickman. Yes, yeah. and oh, you know what and they peace, decided Emma said she would have been happy to come back to do it but they decided to just leave the that couple out because he wasn't around to do it. But at any rate, it's lovely and if you can believe it, Hugh Grant, who by the way refused to do that dancing till the very last scene that was ever shot for Love Actually because he so didn't want to do it and they made him anyway and he kept <laughs> protesting. It was the last scene that was shot because he really didn't want to do it. He actually does another dance scene. And it's very clever. And they did it for, um, they have this fundraising time in England. It's for Red Nose. It's called Red Nose Day. Have you heard about it? No. Yeah. Well, you send in money to help the poor, et cetera. So he did it. And then you, so you see these, you know, signs along the way saying, and call this number to donate money for, for Red Nose Day. And, um, 
Anyway, it's well worth it. Go look it up. It's great, 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 great. So cute, 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 cute. And every single person came back to do it. Every single one. Wow. Well, maybe that's on Acorn TV. <laughs> maybe, but I, <gasps> I, I don't think so. I think I, what I was, t- I, I, it, it was just done on all the networks to raise this money, and then it's going to be put out next month, I think, across, you know, here and other places. But you can see pieces of it, and it's well worth going. It's only 10 minutes. And I'm very excited. We're heading to North Carolina next week. I know. The festival. The time has come. Road trip, road trip. (laughs) On the road again. (laughs) I've decided maybe I should take voice lessons. What do you think? Actually, I don't think any lessons are necessary. Uh, Oh, you know, you just want me to be a fool. I get it. (laughs) Hey, Florence Foster Jenkins made it to Carnegie Hall, I know, right? And you're going to get me there. Okay. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week. 